kings and prophets. Sounds dramatic enough. My first job in ministry was an intern at a high school ministry at a church. I was 19 years old and it was so fun and I don't want to brag, but I made 69.26 every two weeks, okay? I don't know why I still have that memorized. And as an intern, I learned a lot. I spent a lot of time at the church office. I mean, when you're making that kind of money, a lot is demanded of you. And so I remember there was this large closet kind of in the church office and it was filled with random stuff, ice chests and extra chairs and tents and t-shirts and sweatshirts and random props. I remember cleaning out that closet a bunch of times. Apparently when there was, wasn't a lot to, for us to do, they were like, I guess let's make the interns clean the closet again. And so we did. And as a youth ministry intern, we made videos, we handled permission slips for trips, we chaperoned campers, we performed skits and dramas, we prayed at staff meetings, and yes, we cleaned lots of closets. And during all of my time as an intern, I was happy to be there, okay? I learned a ton. There were pastors and leaders that I wanted to learn from, and so I got to be around them a lot. And eventually, I became a youth pastor. We are in the third week of our series of Prophets and Kings, and today we look at a former church intern named Elisha. Sometimes called Elisha, uh, he was a prominent prophet during the divided monarchy found in 2 Kings. He was also an intern under Elijah, and he's first mentioned in 1 Kings chapter 19. Remember when Elijah was having a pity party for one in the cave, and he ran from Jezebel, and God meets him in the cave, and Elisha's like, I'm the only one. And then right after that, in 1 Kings 19, it says, anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. He set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Elisha interns for Elijah, and I'm certain that he made significantly less than 69.26 every two weeks. Now, we don't read anything about Elisha the rest of 1 Kings. In fact, we don't read anything about him until the death of Elijah. Now, I just lied to you, okay? I said the death of Elijah. Elijah doesn't die, okay? He gets taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. It's a really cool story found in 2 Kings chapter 2. Uh, you guys can read it for yourself. Elijah was one of only two people that never died in Scripture, okay? The other was Enoch. Remember last week when Elijah feared the threat of Jezebel? Okay, the very thing that Elijah was terrified about, the very thing that kept him walking 40 days and 40 nights, Elijah's greatest fear in life was death, and he never experienced it. So many of us have got Jezebel in our head, right? We're losing sleep over something that ain't never going to happen, okay? But even if it does, the God who made you, the God who knows you, the God who loves you is by your side. So Elisha watches Elijah be taken up to heaven in a whirlwind, okay? And in so doing, he receives a double portion of the spirit of Elijah. Now we're gonna spend the rest of our time together with this story of a Shunammite woman found in 2 Kings chapter four. It says this in verse eight, one day Elisha went to Shunem. 
and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. The text says that she is a well-to-do woman. In Hebrew, it is she is a great woman. The word is gadol, okay? She was a great woman. She offered hospitality to the Lord's prophet. And eventually she was like, okay, we've got all this extra space. Let's make room for him. Alicia didn't ask for that, okay? Alicia didn't have to ask for that. The Bible says that she urged him. She insisted. Something in her prompted her to offer hospitality even though it wasn't asked for, okay? Something prompted her, okay? Did you see that? The words just came up on your computer screen, just as I said that word, just with a slight prompting. Now, if you are listening online, this illustration doesn't quite have the same effect since it's not live, but the prompting matters nonetheless. How in tune are you with God's spirit? Do you respond to a prompt or do you need a push? Do you need a push or a prompt? Does God have to prompt you or does God have to prod you? How hard is it for God to get you to say, I'm sorry when you're wrong? Because you know that prompting happens. How hard is it for God to get you to do something encouraging for someone when he lays it on your heart? I know it's inconvenient. How hard is it for God to get you to do something that should just be natural for us as followers of Jesus? Does he need to prompt you or push you or prod you? As a follower of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit speaks in a still, small voice, right? Or like last week with Elijah, the Spirit speaks in the sound of silence. It's subtle. Now, I really want to be clear. The Spirit does prompt, still. And as a pastor, some of you might think that whenever the Spirit prompts me, I just respond with no hesitation. The truth is, Sometimes I respond and I follow the Spirit's prompting. Sometimes I've got too much noise in my head to hear the prompting. And sometimes I play it off like, well, this is just something in my head. It's not really God. Sometimes I say, no, God, I'm not gonna do it. Sometimes it's all four. I was in a worship service many years ago and during one of the songs, I felt a prompting, okay? Have you noticed the promptings of the Holy Spirit that they often happen at a worship service. And in that service, I told Jesus that the next time I felt God wanting me to do something, even if it was crazy, that I was gonna do it, that I was gonna be reckless with the Holy Spirit, that if I felt him saying, do something, I was gonna do it. So I go home and a couple of days pass and it's 1 a.m. and I'm leaving a friend's house, driving through a not so nice part of town and I see a guy walking down the opposite sidewalk and I feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Go talk to that guy. And I kind of tense up, right? Like I grip the steering wheel tighter, and I'm like, nope, not gonna do it, okay? That's not really you, God. And then I remember the commitment I made at that worship service two days earlier. 
Now all this is going on through my head while I'm driving. And now the guy is at least a couple of blocks behind me. And so I make a deal with God. Have you ever done this? Okay. I make a deal with God. God, if this is really you, that when I drive back there, he'll still be there. And by making a deal with God, I feel like I'm still keeping my commitment to do what he says, but I'm also trying to do everything in my power to ensure that this dude isn't still on the sidewalk when I arrive. So I take the longest possible route um, back to his location, okay? You've heard of a three-point turn, okay? I was doing a 10-point turn, okay? Just back, okay, okay. Okay, I was taking back roads, okay? Uh, and I finally get back to where I started and the dude is still there. And so at 1 a.m. in the bad part of town, I pull over and I get out of my truck next to this guy and I say, hey man, I know this sounds weird, but I was driving by and I felt like God wanted me to stop and talk to you and so what's up, okay? I had no idea what to say. The guy starts crying, okay? Like, like heavy crying. And now we're both on the sidewalk about 10 feet away from each other and he's weeping and I'm like, like, like air hug, okay? Like, I don't know what to do. And then he looks up at me, tries to wipe his tears and he says that I moved here from Texas two weeks ago and I felt like God abandoned me. I was out here in the middle of the night asking for God to show me a sign that he still cares and then you pull over. He's like, thanks so much, man. You're amazing. And I'm like, you know, when the Lord speaks, you know, I just, I just responded immediately, you know, no hesitation. <laughs> I got back in my truck in the middle of the night and now I'm like looking for people like on the side of the road as I'm driving home. Uh, Alicia didn't ask the Shunammite woman. Perhaps she followed the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps she didn't need any promptings. There are some things where you don't need to ask, okay? If it's loving, if it's kind, if it's encouraging, if it's compassionate, if it's gracious, you don't need to ask if it's God. It is, okay? Some things, you don't need to feel led, okay? You don't need to still small voice. You should just do them naturally as a follower of Jesus. If you say uh, to a prompting, well, I don't feel led to do that act of compassion or that act of kindness. I just don't feel led, okay? Put a pencil in your pocket so that every time you don't feel led, you can put your hands in there and you'll feel led. All right, I, I gotta move this story along here, okay? This Shunammite woman, she is married to a very old man and they have no children. Alicia says to her, by this time next year, you will have a son. And she says, don't do that to me, Alicia. No, don't say that. I've given up on that dream. Don't give me any hope. And then 2 Kings 4, verse 17, the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. The woman tells her husband, hey, we've got all this extra space, we've got this big house, we plan to have kids, and it never happened, so how about we bless this man of God with a room? And then the impossible happens. They have a son. Verse 18, the child grew up and one day he went out to his father who was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. His father told the servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon 
and then he died. Now notice, the father is so old that he asks the servant to carry his son. He cannot even carry his wounded boy to the mother. This is a terrible story. And the Bible doesn't shy away from the tragedies and the terrible things that happen in our world. God doesn't shy away from the terrible things in this life. And to attempt to understand the pain of this mother, it's enough to send you into despair as well. And yet, these things happen in our world. And I, I don't know what to do about that. Verse 32. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Alicia turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Seven represents the fullness and completeness in the Bible, okay? It points to God. Verse 36, Alicia summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite, and he did. And when she came, he said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. Another resurrection. Elijah raises the son of the widow of Zarephath and Elisha raises the son of the Shunammite woman. There's always hope. There's always hope. Resurrection tells us that the worst thing is never the last thing. That is the story of Jesus, the worst thing. Humanity nails their creator to an execution stake. But three days later, resurrection. Resurrection tells us that the worst thing is never the last thing. Some of you are going through it, okay? And it is the worst, but the worst thing isn't the last thing. There's always hope. Now, there will be more ups and downs for the Shunammite woman and her family, okay? And here is the Reader's Digest of what happens in the next several chapters, okay? There's another drought, and Elisha sends the family to another country for seven years, okay? There was a famine in Israel. So Elisha sends the family into Philistine territory for seven years. Meanwhile, a scoundrel named Gehazi is the servant of Elisha, okay? He's a complicated character. He was just mentioned in the healing account. Okay, he follows Alicia around. He is another intern. But he's got bad intentions. And in one encounter, Alicia heals the enemy commander of leprosy. Okay? And then the commander, this rich commander, says, What can I give you for this? And Alicia's like, Nothing. Zip, zilch, nada. Don't give me anything. Okay? So then they go their separate ways. But Gehazi, he's like, Alicia kind of let that guy off the hook, okay? So he sneaks away, he catches up to the commander a few miles away and he says, oh, there was one more thing, okay? Could you just hook a brother up with some cash, okay? We did just heal you, right? And so the healed commander happily gives money to Gehazi. And then Gehazi finds his way back to Alicia and, he's, and Alicia's like, where'd you go? And he's like, nowhere. And Alicia calls him out. And then boom, uh, Gehazi has leprosy, 
Okay, it's like that scene in Bruce Almighty when Bruce shows his hand and he has seven fingers on it and he's like, whoa, okay. Uh, uh, Alicia says, you have leprosy? And he's like, no, I won't. Oh, no. Gehazi walks away covered with sores. Sentenced to a life of an outcast because of his greed. Okay, seven years goes by. Okay, the drought is over. The Shunammite family returns to Israel. And by this time, the husband appears to be long gone. Okay, their big house has been taken over. It's been abandoned for seven years now. So she goes to the appeal to the king to get all of her stuff back. Okay, verse three. At the end of the seven years, she came back from the land of the Philistines and went to appeal to the king for her house and land. The king was talking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, and had said, tell me about all the great things Elisha has done. Just as Gehazi was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, the woman whose son Elisha had brought back to life came to appeal to the king for her house and land. Gehazi said, this is the woman, my lord, the king, and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. The king asked the woman about it, and she told him. Then he assigned an official to her case and said to him, Give back everything that belonged to her, including all the income from her land from the day she left the country until now. As Gehazi is telling the story about Elisha and the Shunammite woman, okay, he's telling this to the king. She offered hospitality, and then he said, Well, what can I do for you? And she's like, I have no son. He's like, By next time, next year, this time, you're gonna have a son. No way, I've given up on that. Don't give me hope. Then a year later, she's got a son. Then the boy's in the field, and he's like, My head, my head. The boy dies. Then Elisha raises the son up from the dead. And as Gehazi is telling this story, the Shunammite woman and her son walk in. Do you know the statistical probability of that happening? Sounds like someone was following some promptings, okay? There were some promptings going on. There are a lot of stories that Gehazi could have shared, but the exact moment he's telling the story of the Shunammite woman to the king, the Shunammite woman and her son walk in. I don't know if she hit traffic all the way so that she was late to so that the timed right, or if she hit every green light possible so that she could be early. All I know is that she was right on time. You can trust God's timing as well. The Shunammite woman could have complained. I don't have all my stuff back. She could have stayed there. Let me give you a word. And I think that God has this little tiny word for many of us listening online right now. Okay, are you ready for the word? It's just a three-letter word. The word is... Yet. Y-E-T. Yet. I believe that's God's word for you. Just add that word to your present complaint. Okay, the Shunammite woman did this. I don't have all my stuff back. Yet. Those three little letters make such a big difference. Perhaps it will for you as well. In your complaints to God, add that word. Oh, sovereign Lord, I don't have it yet. God isn't coming through for me yet. I haven't got 
what I've been praying for yet. I don't see how it's all going to work out yet. I haven't figured out how to be set free from this yet. And remember, this is seven years after Alicia raised her son. She had been in a foreign land, away from everything she's ever known for seven years. She comes home and there's no home at all. She could have said, God, I did what you said. And this is how I'm repaid, okay? We follow your lead. We lose everything. My husband's not even around anymore. I listen to the prophet. I go to the land of the Philistines. I come back. It's all gone. No, there's no hint of resentment in the story. She simply does the next right thing. God might not give you the next five steps, but you can choose to do the next right thing. And for her, she appealed to the king. And she walks into the king's court, and there is Elisha's servant, Gehazi, telling her story. Whoa, 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 whoa. Gehazi? The leper? Gehazi got leprosy, okay? That, that you are abandoned. You are an outcast. You live among lepers or you live among nobody at all. So what's he doing in the court of the king? Lepers can't serve there. It looks like the little boy, the little Shunammite boy, isn't the only one God healed. And I have to include that part of the story, right? Otherwise, you could think that only if you're like the woman, that if you do what God told you to do, then, then you, only then you can ask for God to restore what you have lost. That God only answers miracles for the righteous. He, he does answer the prayers of the righteous, but he doesn't only answer prayers for the righteous. There's room for you and me. Gehazi is there in the presence of the king. So even if it was your fault, even if it was because of your selfishness, even if it was because of your responsibility, you can take a stand in the presence of the king and say, I want it all back. Everything back that Satan took from me. God blesses the righteous and the unrighteous. Sometimes we're good. Sometimes we're not. Jesus loves us. God, I pray that we would follow your spirit's lead, that even now as we drive, as we run, as we walk, as we sit, would you speak to us in that still small voice? May we follow your promptings. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Next week, we have an amazing guest speaker and you are not gonna wanna miss it. We're gonna be chatting about certainty and doubt and I can't wait. We hope you have an amazing week. Grace and peace in Ukraine.